the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Prosperity Gospel beliefs are on the rise. And later, we're talking about a language God speaks science with author John Van Sloten. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. So glad you're with us today. Hey, I got to say this. If you missed our conversation about the egg-cracking TikTok trend, earlier go back and catch up on our podcast but i have to say in in our break yes in our break i actually watched one of those videos and it's so heartbreakingly sad (laughs) i was like this isn't a big deal blah blah then i watched one and i'm like no no no, this is cruelty to children so aren't you so surprised okay now you've watched one i watched it yeah the glee that the mom had i know i at her with almost like you could almost make out like a little welt on her forehead. You like could. And like her little eyes are kind of like, but also the hard part is the girl's on camera. And so you see her like, she's like probably three or four and you see her on camera, like trying to keep a smile up. Cause she knows yep. she's on camera. And I'm like, no, that's like, this is everything that's wrong with the world. So I take back what I said that it wasn't a big deal. I do think it's, it's stupid that it exists, but I feel really sorry for these precious kiddos. So you are now at the spot where you think this is worse than communism and COVID like, come on, <laughs> you are, you are out. Call me woke, but I don't think those TikTok videos should be happening anymore, people. (laughs) Oh, oh, man. All right. Well, in other news, Lifeway Research uh, has done some really interesting studies recently about the prosperity gospel. Okay. Before we dive into what they have to say, can you define the prosperity gospel for people who may not be familiar with it? Yeah. So basically what the prosperity gospel teaches is when you see those preachers, oftentimes on TV or in mega churches going, if you do this, God will prosper you. Yeah. If you yeah. give money, yeah. God will give you more back. If you have a strong enough faith, it's a very transactional view of God yep. that says, if we act, if we obey, if we give, then like a vending machine, God will do yeah. more than we could ever imagine. And there's yeah. no real spot for suffering or for other right. things in the prosperity gospel. And would you say, at least in the camps that you and I are in, most leaders would dismiss that as heretical. Yes. Not Maybe they wouldn't say heretical, but they would say bad theology. Like it's too dependent on us. It's too much of that transaction kind of ATM machine type God. It's... It's not something that, you know, we would we would preach at our churches and we would probably speak against in a lot of ways. Wouldn't you say? hundred percent. It's yeah. a it's a distorted view of God. And there's yeah. very easy ways to dispel of the prosperity gospel. But and I know we're going to get into this. Yeah. You said in our camps and in our people, the, the truth of the matter is the prosperity gospel. I remember last year we did a story where it was like six of the biggest 10 Six of the 10 biggest Protestant churches were blatant prosperity gospel. Yeah. 
Yep. It sells, it works, it grows yep. a church. Yep. Because it's ultimately good news. Like, God's going to make me rich. God's going right. to bless me. I want in on that. Like, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. So, okay, this might be surprising to you, might not be. But uh, according to LifeWay's recent research on this, most American Protestant churchgoers accept the prosperity gospel belief that God wants them to prosper financially. Right. Financial prosperity is a goal for many Americans. Most believe it's God's plan for them too. According to a study, like I said, from Lifeway, 52% of American Protestant churchgoers say their church teaches that God will bless them if they give more money to their church and charities with 24% strongly agreeing this is up from 38% who agreed in 2017. Mm. Additionally, churchgoers are more likely today than in 2017 to believe that God wants them to prosper financially. So it's wow. up that's 76% now and that they have something they have to do something for God in order to receive material blessings from him. Mm. 3 and 4 Three in four churchgoers believe God wants them to prosper financially. And again, like we just said, that uh, they believe they have to do something in order to receive those material blessings. So I, I, so it's more than half in, in some instances, a lot more than half. Talk to me about why this is prevalent and what's the danger. Like, let's just start talking about this, Brian. So it's prevalent because we all want the magic. like. Prosperity. Kind of money bullet. Prosperity. Yeah. We want, we want yes. what we ask for. Yes. The danger is, I mean, we almost don't have enough time to go over all the danger that this is, but the danger is um, this is nowhere promised in the Bible. Mm. And so you're setting people up for failure. If I yeah. really believe, Aubrey, that um that if my faith is strong enough and I give enough, God's going to prosper me financially. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't end up prospering financially, even though that's never a promise, but I believe it is now. Yeah, If I don't prosper financially, there's only two options and they're both bad options. One, I didn't have enough faith. Mm. Uh, it's my fault. Yeah. Two, God didn't keep up his end of the bargain. Yeah. God's not faithful. God's not trustworthy. God's not good. Both yep. of those are really bad. And then you take it, another form of the prosperity gospel. A uh, loved one has cancer. Mm. If I just pray enough, yep. strong enough, enough faith, yeah, then God's prosperity on them will be their healing. Yeah, they end up dying. Yeah. Well, either your friend or family member didn't pray the right prayers or pray well enough. Yeah. Or God didn't keep up his end of the bargain, and that's yep. where this becomes dangerous because when the prosperity gospel doesn't give what it promises then faith crumbles. There's no, yeah. your faith can't withstand that. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, like, like you were saying, it is so easy. Like I want to believe that God wants me to be blessed financially. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And this isn't prevalent just in the States. Like Kevin and I lived in Zambia and the prosperity gospel was everywhere, which by it's the way, yeah. It's well, yeah. Africa and all these places. I mean, and wholeheartedly oppressing already completely impoverished people. Like, I mean, it's just, 
devastating, devastating. And then you look at Jesus's teaching on money, which is just the opposite. Like, and I know we don't like to hear this as an Americans, and I don't even know what to do with it, frankly. But Jesus says again and again, sell your possessions, give to the poor, sell your possessions, give to the poor, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Like there's not a, there, there is a promise that God knows your needs and will meet them. Jesus yep. teaches that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, more so than he's, he cares for the wildflowers. He cares for you more so than he cares for the sparrows. He cares for your needs. Like, but this, um, focus on wealth, on riches really seems to be something that's evil. And yeah. we've, we've taken it and made it gospel in some of these situations. And so I am, you know, God wants me to prosper financially. 76% agree. My church teaches if I give more money to my church and charities, God will bless me in return. That's hard because I do think scripture does talk about like God loves a cheerful giver. And there is something about God will bless you, I think, for releasing your grip on the things that you have. And yet it's not necessarily a one-to-one. Oh, I give a hundred. God's going to give me 200. Oh, I give this. God's good. I think that's where we... We trust God to supply our needs, but I think like any type of ratio or like one-to-one assumption gets us into a lot of trouble. So if, if more and more people in churches are believing this, do you think it's worth, you know, like as a pastor, Brian, would you address this more and more? It seems like if these numbers are correct, then yes, we need to, we need to say why this is untrue and more so why it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, The promise is God's presence and the promise is ultimately his victory. But I mean, it's really easy. This is why I'm always confused by the prosperity gospel. And it's more subtle than, than often we give it out to be, but you just open up the book of acts. Mm, Hey, show me where they prospered. Show me how that worked out for them. Right. Right. Hey, let's talk about the early church fathers. How did that work out for them? Yeah. But yeah. did they did they do something wrong? Was that on mm, them? I mean, and that's mm. where it becomes easy, but I get it. I get why there's a lore, and I also get it. It becomes like a pyramid scheme for pastors to, mm-hmm. to get people to give. Heck yeah. Um, but it's dangerous. It's yeah. it's super dangerous. All right. Well, coming up next, we are joined by author John Van Sloten. He has a new book out called God Speaks Science, where he's talking about how we can know God's written words through his creational words. It's going to be a really interesting conversation when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We are thrilled to talk about something kind of fun, a language that God speaks Author John Van Sloten says that God speaks science in his new book with that same title, God Speaks Science, What Neurons, Giant Squid, and Supernovae, Nova, I'm not even a scientist, I don't know how to say this, reveal about our creator. John, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. When I did the book and researched the sermons that made up the book, I had to ask for pronunciation of all kinds of words because I am not scientifically trained. So no problem there, Aubrey. That leads us to a fantastic first question. What made you decide to write this if you're not a scientist? Uh, For the last 25 years as a pastor here in Calgary, I've been exploring uh, the idea of God speaking through two books, through the Bible and through creation. Uh, The Mm -hmm. Bible preeminent, but through the lens of the scriptures, seeing God at work in the world. So I've done that through pop culture in my first book and then through vocation in my second book. 
And then I got an invitation from Vancouver's Regent College to look at faith and science. And I thought, why haven't I done a lot more faith and science? And so that started a ball rolling about 10 years ago, which then led to uh, to the publication of this book. It's amazing. And and John, what is the... What's the benefit for us as Christians as we take that dual look, as we see God in creation, right? It's biblical, but how does that help our faith grow? Mm. We, we, uh, we move our source of revelation from, from one book, the Bible. Of course, I have a high view of the scriptures, right? But you then begin to populate your life with bio, physical, chemical, anything in creation parables that uh, like fill your mind like a museum filled with paintings Mm -hmm. and and then you you can't and i can't right now walk out my door if i'm awake and aware and thinking about god um see something that reminds me of something that i've either preached before or or thought about Mm -hmm. uh tree branches uh, the nature of the hydrological cycle and how clouds work um Mm -hmm. yesterday i was out for a walk on a day off but i see a honeybee foraging on a sunflower and it's covered with pollen. And I preached mm-hmm. on a bee before. And the whole idea of spreading goodness throughout the world mm-hmm. as they spread that pollen. And if I could mm-hmm. be as diligent as a honeybee. It was a parable that preached just in time. And wow. I think it, I think we're meant for that. All of us are meant wow. for that. I, I'm fascinated by this, John, because I feel like, you know, there's, of course, some you hear people talk about you can see creation and see its beauty and marvel at the creator. But you're almost saying something more than that. God is actually speaking. God is actually telling mm. parables and illustrations through creation. Can you unpack that a little bit more? How does God speak through creation and what is he saying? Um, at the, at the most foundational level, um, what's really hit me in this process of writing the book is just how Jesus centric this is. So John 1, 1 to 3, Hebrews 1, verse 2, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, all say that everything that is was made through Christ. So everything you look at in creation was a thought in the mind of God in the thought in the mind of Jesus before it came to be. So the moment you believe that, <clears throat> the scriptures teach that, then that that gives you permission, theological permission to start to look. And as for how it all happens for me, it was a lot of tripping and a lot of finding my way and talking to scientists and hearing them say something and going, that sounds like what Isaiah said. That sounds like what Jeremiah said, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And so there were these, this is that connections that led to epiphanies that led to a lot of what makes up the content of the book. So I think the book um, if people want to engage God through creation more in this deeper way, as you say, then the book can act as a kind of field guide, a roadmap. Uh, you can mm. go to school on my 10 years of trying to do this. <laughs> I love go. that. Well, I'm, uh, let, let's, let's use one of the examples. You said you've preached sermons and in the book, mm-hmm. you talk about uh, human knees. I, w- I want to know the point <gasps> you're making. When, so when do I. Human knee. Okay. Well, a church full of people uh, came for that message. I was uh, including the orthopedic surgeon. (laughs) Pardon me, the orthopedic surgeon that I met uh, who helped me understand the knee. So we talked about the nature of the knee itself. It's uh, it's the least bony uh, structured bone uh, or joint in the body. So it's actually the weakest joint in the body. But because of all the tendons and everything around it, structurally, it's the most flexible and movable joint in the body, which allows Mm. us to pivot and to move. And then we started to look at this beautiful flexibility and capacity to move and jump. Um, 
in in relationship to a God who moves. The knee mm -hmm. is made in a bio-parable kind of way to image a God who moves, who moves eloquently, who moves mm -hmm. in beautiful ways. Um, so we started with that, but then I started to unpack the nature of the actual, the scientist, the surgeon who um, is an expert in her field and was able to affect um, tremendous healing to people's knees in very short periods of times, which is really important with a human knee to get in and out. And and her students reacted to her work, her postdocs. They said, like, we could never do it as fast as yours, eloquently as you. All the knowledge of two PhDs and practice tacit in her body was being born onto that knee and healing it. Wow. And, and that was a pointer in a way, in a complicated mm. way, to the nature of a God whose healing power is even greater than the mm. greatest surgeon. And so we looked at how the knees are healed as unique pointers to how God uniquely heals. Mm. Oh, so fascinating. We're talking with author and pastor John Van Sloten about his book, God Speaks Science, What Neurons, Giant Squid, and Supernovae Reveal About Our Creator. Um, John, I, I'm curious because you said before you've been kind of diving into this for the past decade. How has your faith changed or grown mm. or been transformed through your own study of science? Um, not a scientist. Okay. A lot of people freak out, right? Uh, no, I can't read this. I, don't, I can't pronounce the words. I mean, it's not, it's not a light book, but it's a, it's a readable book, but, yeah. um, my motivation, my primary motivation and the result of this has been knowing God more. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when my life changed when I was 29 and, I moved from being a real estate developer to a, a pastor. Um, that's all I really wanted was to know God more, to know Christ more. And this, uh, this idea of uh, engaging science as an ally through which, a lens through which I can engage what God is saying through creation, mm -hmm. enabling me to know God more in more and more places at deeper and deeper levels. To me, a foreshadowing, a pointer to a new heaven and earth where we will know God perfectly in and through all things mm. all the time mm -hmm. um, mm. has been deeply compelling. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd have gone on this journey without a book or without any sermons wow. just for the personal yeah. faith yeah. growth. Amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, and John, as we close up with you, uh, I want to hammer that point home one more time because you keep saying I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Neither, as you could probably guess, are Aubrey or I. <laughs> this is not a book written for scientists. This is a book written for Christians who are wanting to understand God and understand their faith. Correct? Yes, um, but it, but and, and don't think therefore the science could be shoddy, or it's because every yeah. chapter, <laughs> no, every chapter was written with a real scientist. It has a foreword written by that scientist, and scientists That's have awesome. read the book, so it, it's scientifically sound, but it uses language uh, that you and I and and anyone who would read the book could understand. Amazing. John, where can people find and follow you? Where can they find this book and other books that you've written as well? Um, I have an author website, johnvansloten.com. And uh, yeah, the book's available at Moody and Amazon and Walmart and Target and, 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 and everywhere. You, you yes. Get All the places yeah. you get the books. Yeah. And the okay. audiobook came out yesterday. So it's out in oh, multiple formats now. So, That's yeah. awesome. John Van Sloten has been with us talking about his new book, God's God Speaks Science. Be sure to pick up a copy of that today. John, thanks so much for being here with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
It's Friday where we get to do one of our very favorite things each and every week. That is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Here's what we thought we would do. We're going to say our top five books of the Bible, but with zero context and zero explanation. Zero context. Zero. I, that's my favorite part of this. <laughs> We're just going to randomly list our favorite books of the Bible. Maybe we could say a little bit of why. Sure. I don't. Yeah. I. I don't know. But we're not going to give a lot of justification for it. Right. So it's not going to be like I was a kid and this one really transformed yeah. my thought. Yes. 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 All right. Are you ready? I am. Zero context. Bibles. Bible yes. verses. Bible. Uh, yeah. Passages. Bible yeah. books. Yeah. Okay. You go first. Uh. Number one, I chose one of the most theologically deep ones that people you have to preach through, and that's the book of Romans. Yes, yes, love love Romans. I love a good read through the book of Romans, but it is heavy. Yeah, it is. uh, It does take you a while. This is the one that, like the the arrogant pastors, like to say, "Oh, I preached for two and a half years." But yes, in your own devotional time, reading through Romans, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, I know. Romans is so good. Romans is on my list, too. All right. I uh, I started my number five with, um, man, I, ha- I was kind of torn here. So I'm, I'm used to, even still a little torn as I'm saying it, but I'm going to go with Hebrews. Mm. I threw in Hebrews. I like, I like, uh, well, we're not supposed to give context, but I like okay, learning about Jesus as my great high priest. I feel like that's always yeah. a good reminder. The old hall of faith in Hebrews is really fun. Yes. Um, so I, I put the book of Hebrews, although to be honest, it's been like maybe a year or even two years since I've read it. So it's probably time to go back. And it birthed many a Christian coffee shop where people thought they were like, yeah. uh, they were like, uh, being really creative and like Hebrews. Yes. Yes. Why? I have never heard that. And that's so fantastic to Come me. On, you can I... lead with that joke. How, wow. do, we know, how wow. do we know that God, how do we know that God likes coffee? Hebrews. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's uh, good. Four for me, Solid. Number four for me. I went yep. Old Testament. Okay. Uh, and this started because I didn't, this would not have been the case until about 10 years ago. I actually preached through this book and I was like, I really like this book. It's mm. the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is so great. Yep. Rebuild that wall. Rebuild, Rebuild that, that wall, wall bro. Yep. yep. That That's up. so Get good. The people home. Get the people home. Let's go. All right. I my number four is your number five. Little Romans, little Romans. I Here's why I like Romans. All those women, you know, all those women in the book of Romans, Phoebe being the benefactor and the, the preacher of Romans to the Roman house churches. And there's all those women listed. It's not the only reason I like Romans. I like Romans eight a lot, but, uh, yeah, Romans. That's a good one. We're we're doing a Roman series coming up in the fall, actually. That should be we're not doing it for two and a half years though. <laughs> time, you you've cornered the market on this one on our show. Sometime I'd like to be able to, for it to be okay for me to go, I like this because all of the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would it be weird if I said I like this because of all the men? Yep. Do you know why I like Romans? The women. All the women. <laughs> Uh, number three, we reference this book often on the show, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, you do like Ecclesiastes. It's yeah. It's just different. I feel like it really yeah. speaks to our culture now. Uh, so I love to reference it. And I don't like when people get all worked up about did Solomon really write it? I was literally about to tell you, how do you feel about the Solomon debate? <laughs> I'm good with it. I'm yeah. good with it. 
there's for people who don't know, most people it's attributed to Solomon, but some scholars believe that it was someone writing in the voice of Solomon. Yeah. Yeah. For Ecclesiastes. I, ch- I choose not to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's good. Either way, it's good. It All right. My number three, I'm going to pick two books because they were written as one originally. Oh, you stole. You, yeah. I did, yeah. I did this exact same oh, thing. Oh, you did. You did. Later on. Yes. Yep. So I'm going with the Luke Acts scrolls because I just, I love Luke as a writer. I love how he goes back and forth between stories of men and women. I love the stories of the early church and just so much Jesus, uh, so much goodness there. So that's what I'm going with. Luke Acts. Yes. Luke Acts. People might not know that that's how most scholars read that is that is one book, one long book, two, one long scroll. Uh, number two, I picked the book of Philippians. That is my favorite oh. of Paul's epistles. Uh, there's many um, well-known sayings in there. Uh, I do. I like Philippians. A lot of pain in there, but a lot of hope in the pain. Yeah, Philippians is a good one. I didn't throw in Philippians. I've I've got a o- OT OT for my next two. My number two. This won't surprise any of our listeners. Uh, Lamentations. One of my faves spent several years studying it in it. So it feels like a friend to me. I like lamentations a lot. It feels like a friend. (laughs) I, my, my honorable mentions go very close to one. And obviously you can honorable mention the whole Bible, right? Like we're not going to go. I hate that. Sure. Yes. Right. Uh, I honorable mention Proverbs and Psalms. Nice. You know, you read the Proverbs, you're like, Ooh, Ooh, pithy. Oh, Oh, that's nice. It just keeps going. So those are my honorable mentions. I honorable mentioned Ruth and Esther because, again, you can get a, give a shout out to the ladies, the ladies of the OT. I don't know. They uh, only made, th- your, they made th- your honorable mention. I th- I know. It's not funny. I threw in Judges, too, because those are just the wildest stories in the Bible. They're fun That's to true. read. Yep. Yep. That okay. Good point. Number one. Number one. So you clearly know my number one because you already talked about it. I took the combo of Luke and Acts as uh, well. Well Luke done. tends to be my favorite of the Gospels to read. Mm. And then you roll it right into the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is just amazing. Wow, the gospel spread and the gospel's going. Yeah. Here it goes. Yeah. Look at this. And you end up like the book of Acts. So when you read those collectively, the book of Luke and the book of Acts as one book, it's just, I mean, somebody should make a mini series that chronicles it. <laughs> Uh, in it, as much as they can, with a little bit of interpretation, to it, that would be, uh, yes, that that would be a great show. Yeah, that would so. be a great show. We could call it like the chooser, the choosers. I, I would choose to watch that. Yeah, I would choose to watch that too. All right, uh, my number one. I'm going with the Psalms. I just, I think they're so beautiful. I could always read the Psalm, no matter what kind of season of life it is. I just absolutely love love the poetry, the songwriting of. The Psalms. All right. Do you think that Solomon actually wrote the Psalms too? I don't. Uh, <laughs> a whole, we have a whole conversation about. Did anyone actually write the Bible? Did any actual authors write the actual Bible? <laughs> That's the question. All right. So those are our top five Bible books. No context. Under the umbrella of all the Bible's good. All right. Hey, coming up next, why are Christians so serious about everything? We're going to try to answer that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's the end of the show. It's the end of the week. We're headed to the weekend. We are so glad that you've been with us. We want to tell you about an event that's happening next weekend. I can't even believe it. September 1st through September 4th. The Naperville JC's Last Fling is back 
We want to invite you to enjoy the last of summer in downtown Naperville with carnival rides, live music, food vendors. Admission is free. You can find out more at lastfling.org. Lastfling.org sounds really fun, really enjoyable. And that makes me think of what I wanted to talk about as we ended the show today. Why are Christians so serious all the time about everything, Brian? We're so earnest and everything is taken seriously. This is actually coming from Relevant Magazine, a writer by the name of Lucy Greenberg was saying she heard she's heard several people say this lately. I just feel like people don't take me seriously. I'm done trying to get people to take me and my faith seriously. And uh, Lucy is talking about the serious Christian as kind of the model we're all supposed to measure up to. What do you think about this? There's something to it. I mean, there there is like the, oh, you know, there's a serious faith we have. There are serious topics going on. So there is um, something to it. But we say it on this show all the time, right? There's a balance. Like we yeah. talk about serious things and then we talk about stupid things like TikTok things and uh, funny quizzes. Like you can't be serious about everything. And when you get serious about everything, then everything becomes a huge deal and you get all angry and you get all stressed and we see that going around. So um, yeah, like I guess I would put it this way. Take seriously the things that are really worthy of being held seriously and then laugh at yourself. Laugh mm. with people. Laugh during the day and uh and then you can you can strike that balance. What do you think? Too serious? I you know, I I think like both matters. Like I think there are times to be serious and I think we do need to be serious-minded, sober-minded people. We need to take God seriously. We need to take faith seriously, especially when like hard things are going on. And then I think the, I don't mean, I guess the balance of it or is the other side of it is that Christians are called to be joyful. And so you want to have fun. You want to experience delight. You want to be part of things going on in this world that are fun and joyful activities. So I don't, don't know that this has to be sort of like one or the other. I think you can be a well-rounded person and be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I know you've kind of talked about this before though, like in even some of our conversations earlier this week about like Barbie and Taylor Swift and the community of like joy and belonging around some of those things. It does feel like I don't necessarily want to be a part of a church that's so serious all the time and can't laugh at itself. Like I want both. I want serious. I want thoughtfulness. I want depth. And then I also want to laugh really, really hard and do fun, silly things. I left a meeting with a pastor the other day and he was a cool dude and he was like mature and he like, I, I really appreciated the way he thought things like strategically, all of this stuff. But my other thought leaving was like being in your church would be a nightmare because everything feels so heavy. Mm. Everything was like, um, the expectations on people and the way he talks and preaches and the way they set stuff up. You're like, I can't imagine. Maybe I could be a hundred percent wrong, but I left there going, I can't imagine you guys just like laughing and just having yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think in churches, but then just our, our individual lives. Like if you can't just laugh with people and at each other mm. and at yourself, the biggest ones at yourself, Mm. Uh, if you as a pastor can't crack a joke from the stage, be a little yeah, yeah. inappropriate. I just don't think you can live under that tension all the time. Like that, that tension, I think you're going to snap. Like 
totally laughing and joking and doing that is a stress release like that lets go of the pressure and so that's why i think this is important when you read the scriptures do you find jesus to be serious more than he's like funny silly guy or because sometimes i do like i know there are times when people say like he was making a joke and like maybe we just missed it um because of context or whatever but when i Mm. read like i don't i like this is part of why i actually like the chosen because you get some of jesus laughing and eating and like doing these things that you know he did because he was a fully alive human and yet sometimes i read jesus and he seems very serious at least right. in the stories that are told about him what do you think about that well i uh, it's exactly what you just said I, I think that has to do a little bit with the stories that are told yeah uh, i also think that has to do with upbringing like i was you're probably right yeah did you ever hear a sermon about Jesus laughing or about Jesus like, right, right. Out with his friends? And I don't know what even what those sermons would be, but like we lose the humanity of Jesus often. Part of that humanity is I'm sure when they were walking along, there were times he he was sarcastic with Peter or laughing with John or yeah, you know, roughhousing with some of the guys around the fire, whatever else it was. Like I'm sure. Do we really think all the teaching he did, he never made jokes? There's no way. There's absolutely right? no way. Yeah. In fact, I heard somebody recently talk Jesus about said. the, the you know, Jesus talking about the plank in your own eye. Like somebody was like, that's a carpenter's joke. Like he's a carpenter and he's telling a carpenter's joke. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I had never really thought about that before. So I the think humanity the- of Jesus. Here's a question mm-hmm. for you. Yep. You're the theologian. You got the master's degrees and all this stuff. <laughs> Not a theologian, but Yes. Jesus was perfect. Yes. Is perfect. Yes. Did Jesus tell a joke that wasn't funny? Ooh. <laughs> all of Jesus's jokes. Ooh. Just bangers. Just like they were killed it. Like they so were he like, just like killed it. Yeah. Anytime I don't, he told right. a joke, it was like, bam. There were no like dad jokes that just failed. Like they were all just like the greatest why you, things why are you ever. Mocking the dead? that's assuming bad comedy is sin right so i don't know i don't know if he his jokes were amazing i always wonder about his carpentry like like did he make like the best chairs and the best tables or other people like oh there's jesus again making the awesome dresser drawers or whatever did he ever ever have food in his beard or spill a drink or whatever the answer is yeah but the answer is yes it, it is, but that also gets at some of our views of Jesus. Like he could never have done anything that would have been awkward or right, right, like, embarrassing. He never had food in his teeth like, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we fully, fully believe in the divinity of Jesus, but he was also fully man, and he had buddies, and they were hanging out. Yeah, what did buddies do like yeah, they goof uh, off and they're silly and they laugh and yep. They're competitive, like that that kind of thing. So here's how Lucy over Relevant ends her article. She talks about, uh, you know, for truly taking God seriously, it results in the ability to take the pressure off ourselves. And she talks Mm -hmm. about how some people are turned off by the church when they encounter like height priests or what have you. Some people are turned off when they're too serious. Some people are turned off when they're absolutely silly all the time. But she says, let's be real. We take ourselves too seriously. 
we even expect others to see us as very serious and high-minded. I'm filling in some gaps for her. She didn't say exactly that. But um, when it comes down to it, she says, we've already been taken seriously. When Jesus died for us, he was taking us very seriously. Somewhere along the way, that ceases to be enough for us. We have to hype ourselves up to feel like we matter Sadly, this lifestyle leads to disillusionment and burnout, and it won't attract many non-believers to Jesus. So she says, let's lay aside the hype and take God seriously instead of ourselves. Mm, that's a good that's word. A good, good word. As you head into the weekend, maybe don't take yourself so seriously this weekend, but take God seriously. Hey, we'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.